everyone. It's good to be here with you on this odd, oddly cold August morning. Um, man, I can see that you guys are a determined bunch of people. I think that's, that's fair to say, right? You're a determined bunch of people. Um, and that's unexpected, though. Um, confidence, I did have this thought, though. So you say five years' time, you'll be finished exams. Amara is now four. Five years' time, she'll be nine, and she'll start exams when she's ten. So you've got that nice window of a year <laughs> to kind of max out. So, so max that year out before Amara starts writing exams. Okay. I really would like to welcome you here this morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jono. I have the amazing privilege as, of serving as one of the pastors here at Reader Fellowship under our senior pastor, Pastor One Machatle. And um, I'd like to welcome you. I'd like to add my welcome to the band and, and to what Confidence has said. Uh, if you're part of the family, you call Root Fellowship home, welcome to you. If you're visiting us from another church, but you form part of the global church, welcome to you. If you're out of town and you're coming here to experience some of the warm Pretoria weather, welcome. And if you're checking us out, maybe you're checking out this whole church Christian thing and you're asking questions, but you're not quite sure yet about the whole thing. Welcome to you. Everybody is welcome at Ruta Fellowship this morning. Dumalang, Liam Ochete, Momochai, Siana Magale, Ruta Fellowship, welcome Beyond Kak, and welcome to church. You would have heard earlier, in fact, Confidence highlighted it. She said a couple of months ago, I think it was the 1st of July, actually, we made a, a, an announcement that Ruta Fellowship is going to become a, or going to seriously start considering being a church planting church. We want to multiply what we've got here, and we want to see it sent across the city and beyond. Exciting times. But coming out of that, we kind of said, well, if we want to be a church that has multiple congregations, that wants to multiply, what is the church about? We need to be super crystal clear and refined on what is the church about? What is our church about? But what is the local church about? As we seek to do more of this, what is the local church about? And so this series was born, the series called On the Church, The Wonder of God Made Known Through the Church. The Wonder of God Made Known Through the Church. And we've journeyed through this series for about five weeks. This is our fifth and final week. We've covered a range of texts and range of messages. One that took us through what preaching in the local church context is about. What's membership about? What's eldership about? The role of men and women. And three weeks ago, Reno took us through discipleship, but in an inward sense, an inward-focused discipleship. What I mean by that is we said that this is what we're about. We're a disciple-making church. And what does that mean? It's, it's a process which encourages brothers and sisters to grow in their relationship of Jesus Christ, to grow in our Christ-likeness. And that's one of the things that we are super, super uh, uh Focused on. That's what we do here at Ritter Fellowship. And then Rena also shared one of the, or a number of ways in which you can practically get involved in the discipleship within the church. So where am I going? Well, today we're going to be looking at discipleship in an outward focused sense, an outward looking sense. What the church often calls evangelism, outreach, or the mission of the church. Last week we heard that, that in Revelations 1 and 2, the local church is referred to as a lampstand that shines Christ's truth, his light, and his love 
into a world in darkness and in desperate need of a savior. That's what Revelation speaks about. It speaks about the church as a lampstand shining Christ's light, love, and truth into a world that needs a savior. And so therefore, church, we can say that the local church is an instrument that extends God's kingdom and fulfills his purpose here on earth. The local church is an instrument that extends God's kingdom and fulfills his purpose here on earth. The mission of God in terms of the church is our short-term, our medium-term, and our long-term plan. The church, therefore, is crucial. In fact, it's essential to the mission of God. Now, I don't know if this is true for everyone. Okay, so, so I may be making a, a generalization here. But if you've grown up in church for a while, or if you've been in church for a while, sorry, let me say that again. If you've grown up in church, or if you've been in church for a while, you would have noticed that often there's this weird, unsaid tension that exists in the church. There are those who are super passionate about the church, and then there are those who are super passionate about the mission of God. Anybody kind of like nodding? Yeah, yeah I kind of heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can tell you something from my experience. My experience. First short-term mission trip I went on, I came back on fire and I was like, man, what are we doing here in the church? What are we really doing? Come on. We get together, sing a couple of songs. Man, out there, we're praying with people every night. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Amazing things are happening. What is the church doing? We're sitting on our bums. Okay? That extreme is not healthy, church. I'm here to tell you that extreme is not healthy. The other extreme, I was with pastors. I think this, this, this shows the point. I was with pastors this past week. And we were chatting through a number of things on how we can be more mission-minded, mission-led, etc., etc. And the number of pastors that said, you know what, I mean, I hear you, but man, this is our mission field. Our mission field is, is the, the people right in front of me on a Sunday. And I want to say, yes, amen, but it doesn't end just with the people right in front of you on a Sunday. There's this odd tension. But we're going to actually see today from the scriptures that the church plays a crucial role in God's formation of a family from himself, for himself, for all pe- from all people. The church is crucial in God's formation of a family for himself, from all people. Church, I hate to break it to you, but we are on mission. We are on mission. We form part of the mission of God. But why should we embrace this mission? I mean, we enjoy what we do here, so why should we embrace the mission of going and telling others? Well, the short answer is that Jesus tells us to. And as Christians, we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our King over everything. And so whatever he says is something that we as believers need to follow. No questions asked. So what should we do? What should we do if we want to embrace the mission that Jesus has set apart for us? We're going to answer that today in, the, in, the, in a number of texts as we go through this message today. And we're going to start where so many sermons start uh, when we talk about the mission of God or discipleship, evangelism. And we're going to talk, start with a section of scriptures from the New Testament found in the book of Acts. And this one account or this one version of what the church knows as the Great Commission um, is is coming to us from the book of Acts. Now you say, okay, why not, why Acts? Why not Matthew? Because our next text is also going to be coming to us from the book of Acts. But before we get into our text today, 
I'd like to, to pray for us and uh, commit this time to our Lord. Lord God, we thank you and praise you that you are constant. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came, lived, died for us, for our sins, who rose again, Lord God. We praise you for your Holy Spirit. We praise you, Lord God, that as we meet you as your people, we are one in Christ. Lord, we come to you today saying, we're sorry for the times in which we have separated your mission that you've given us from what we do here as a church. Lord, I ask that as we open up this word, your word, we, as, we, as we look to you now this morning, Holy Spirit, would you come and convict us, come and point us to you, come and move in us as a body and as individuals, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we would hear from you, see you clearly. I pray, Lord, that you would use this time, use me, Lord, to speak your truth, to speak your light, to speak your love. Lord, we ask that you would speak so clearly to us today. And that as we come to the end of this, this series, Lord God, that we would, we would be set ablaze for your mission. So now lead us in this time, Lord God. May everything we do now be to your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' holy and mighty name. Amen. So now we're going to come to Acts. Acts 1 verses 8 to 10. Acts 1 verses 8 to 10. And I want you to know that these are Jesus' final words to his disciples. The last thing that he says to his human, to his disciples on earth. After his death on the, death on the cross. After he was raised from the dead, but just before he ascends to heaven. Now, these words are written by the apostle Luke, who is a Gentile uh, physician or a doctor, and he wrote these words in about 63 to 70 AD. Now, Luke was one of Paul, the Apostle Paul. I'll get into him a bit later. But he was one of the Apostle Paul's mission collaborators. So he went with him on his missions. And he is the only Gentile author in the New Testament. Now, you may say, okay, well, what's a Gentile? That's someone who's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but before that, they were not a Jew. So they weren't a Jew before they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. And so that we need to bear in mind as we come to this text. This is what Luke writes for us about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says... But you will receive power. Now, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. There's a few things that we need to note as we come to this text. Let's look a little bit deeper into verse 8. This is what Jesus says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, etc. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming. He doesn't say if the Holy Spirit comes. He says when the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Triune God, three in one. And so Jesus says, my disciples, although I'm leaving, I'm sending you, my helper, the Holy Spirit. He will come down and he will be with you. 
And if we read on a little bit in the book of Acts, we'll see in chapter 2 that this does in fact happen at Pentecost. Tongues of fire, crazy scene. The Holy Spirit falls upon people. 3,000 people come to faith. Jesus says, we can see from that text in chapter 2, Jesus says that this Holy Spirit will be the source of the disciples' power. It'll be the source of the church's power. Not the argumentation. The power is not going to come from their argumentation. Not going to come from their skills, their qualifications, their loyalty. But it's going to come from their ability to rely on the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus say? Carrying on verse 8. He says, And you will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the, and to the end of this earth. When Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses, he's talking to us, church. He's talking to us, the local church here today. And he says, you will. He doesn't say, um, listen, uh, if you can, there's an hour after church, small window, I know that you got that, but like, could you please be my witnesses in that time, just in that time when it's convenient for you? No, no, no. He says to them, you will be my witnesses. He says, you will point to Christ's light, to love and, and, and truth in J- Jerusalem. In other words, where you are situated right now, that's where the disciples were, in Jerusalem. In Judea, the extended area, your immediate surroundings, so where you live, work, and play. And you will be witnesses in Samaria, which is like the next city over, about 50 kilometers away. It's kind of like Joburg to us. Yeah. You gotta be witnesses in Joburg, guys. <laughs> and to the ends of the earth. What does Jesus not say? He doesn't say or. Notice. He doesn't say you will be my witnesses in Judea or Samaria or to the very ends of the earth. In other words, missionaries who we love and honor. It doesn't mean that when I'm on mission, I'm in the 1040 window, on mission. Cool. Come back to Pretoria. Man, it's two weeks of cool. Chilling out at Starbucks coffee. Okay? Mission, no, that's not happening. It also doesn't mean that for us as a church, we say, you know what, this is just our mission field. And you know what, uh, there are churches who kind of, who, who kind of to look after other things. So we're, we're not really concerned about anything else other than our immediate surroundings. Jesus doesn't give us that option, church. The church needs to follow Jesus' words. We need to follow Jesus' words. Why? Because we honestly believe in him as our Lord and Savior. And what do we need to do? We need to point people to his light, to his truth, to his love, wherever we may find ourselves. And I'd like to emphasize this this morning, church. And we need to care about those who don't know Jesus in areas we don't find ourselves. We heard this in, in the second part of our Multiply series. We need to leverage our time, our prayers, our resources towards the mission of God in other areas. So in a sense, we've answered why the church joins in God's mission. Why? Because Jesus tells us to. And we've seen that we need to do in a broader sense, yes, point people to Jesus. Yes, amen. But how do we really do that today? 2018, Pretoria at Rooted Fellowship. How do we really, really become an instrument in God's formation of his family from all people? How do we do that?
specifically as we seek to multiply in the future, as we want to be one church, multiple congregations, we're going to need to know what this means as we journey ahead with our multiplication efforts. And so in a sense, we come to the title of today's message, kind of a loose title, which I'd like to say, or I'd like to put to you is, is how do we make the circle bigger? How do we make the how do we make the circle bigger? Okay. Now, dare I say this, church? If you're saying, "Man, it is so cool that we're it's just like these 50, 60 people in here," and like I just love what we're doing, don't really want to kind of think about change, you're probably not going to love this message. Okay, because this is all about how we can go and embrace the mission of God and make this circle bigger. And so I was thinking about it, but essentially I think there are two ways in which we make the circle bigger. There are two ways. The first way edifies, builds up, and grows the global church. The global church, big C, the church that we are form part of across the world. And that is to send people out. That's the first way. We've got to send people out. That's how we make the circle bigger. The, the global church, that's how we grow the global church, embrace the mission of God, make disciples for Jesus. We send people out. And the second way is to grow our local church. Okay? That's the second way that we're going to be talking about things. And that is by drawing people in. How do we draw people in? So we'll come to that a bit later. The first way that we grow the circle, the first way that we grow the church of God, the global church of God, is that we send people out. So how do we send people out? Well, we turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. This is three verses. Acts chapter 13. Now, Acts chapters 1 to 11 speaks about the spread of Christianity from the, the, the Jews of the time to, uh, to the other Jews in Jerusalem in the area. Okay, so that's the first 11 chapters of Acts. The next uh, chapters from, from chapters 12 onwards speaks about the spread of Christianity to the Gentiles and beyond. Okay, so, so the first 11 from, from the Jews... Uh, how, how, how salvation comes to uh, the Jews, and then from chapters 12, how salvation then comes to the Gentiles and beyond. So we're reading now in chapters 13 about God's formation of his family from all people. Now, okay, so this is Acts chapter 13. And as we get into this text, you're going to see, okay, within the first sentence, we're introduced to the church in Antioch. Church in Antioch. What we need to know about the city of Antioch is that it is the most cosmopolitan biggest city within the Roman Empire in this region of Judea and Samaria. So this is now a diverse city, bustling, multi-ethnic city with people from all over the Roman Empire living there. So if you're thinking like today's term, I want you to think Shanghai, Joburg, London, New York, that kind of vibe, okay? This is the church in Antioch, or this is the city of Antioch, shall I say. Let's get into Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. This is what the word says. Barnabas and Paul sent off. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets, small p, and teachers named Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So as we come to this text today, church, we need to ask ourselves, how can we as Rooted Fellowship be a sending church? How can we participate in the global mission of the global church? 
How can we have a sending mindset? Well, we come to this text and we're going to check it. Verse 1. It says, now they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, small p prophets. So not prophets like we have in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Isaiah, that said, thus saith the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This is, this is what you need to do. No, that's not what these, these guys gathered there were. Small p preachers and teachers. These are people who are given inspired messages from the Lord who can deliver it to others in the church in an understandable way. As we would think about it today, think teaching elder. Oni spoke about elders last week. If you're curious and intrigued, please go onto SoundCloud and have a listen to that. But think teaching elders. This is what, this is who was gathered at Antioch. They were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. Notice how many were, they were. They were five, church. Five prophets and teachers. Five. Not one doing everything. Not one guy doing message on Sunday, man, I'm doing city group questions tomorrow, then I'm leading every single city group on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then a sermon again on Sunday. Not happening. There were five teaching elders. That means, church, that this church had an overflow-go mindset. They were ready for growth just by being. Think about us. We need to have more than one person doing things. We can't just have one city group leader, one preacher going around doing everything. We need to be prepared for growth. In Exodus 18, Jethro comes to uh, Moses, the leader of the nation of Israel, who's kind of burnt out. And he says to him, no, you need to appoint people. You need to have people come around you and assist you. You cannot administer what's going on here by yourself. We can't just have one person doing everything. If we seek to multiply, hear me, if we seek to multiply and send out, we can't have one person doing anything. But let's look in the, into these five uh, leaders at the church in Antioch. Let's actually take a closer look. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, comma, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. These five names tell us something very important about the church in Antioch. <clears throat> we don't just only gather a team of leaders, but we actually need to gather a team of leaders that enjoys, reflects, and embraces the diversity of its context, church. Let's look at these names. But Saul, okay, so Saul, I, I mentioned to you that, that, that the, the book of Acts is about Paul's missions, but this is the same person. So this is Saul of Tarsus. Saul came from Tarsus, uh, a place on the Mediterranean uh, in Turkey. He was a hardcore Jewish rabbi, essentially, who persecuted, killed Christians. Acts chapter 9, uh, he's blown off his horse. Jesus uh, appears to him and he says to him, uh, stop persecuting me, Saul. And he becomes Paul, the greatest apostle, writes most of the New Testament. This is, this is him who's there. Okay, he's at the church in Antioch. We have Simon called Niger. He's the man thought to have helped Jesus carry his cross up to Golgotha on his way to be crucified. He is from North Africa, kind of Libya area. Lucius, also from Lucius of Cyrene, also from that area. Manian, he is somebody who grew up in King Herod's home in Judea. And we have Barnabas from Cyprus, the island of Greece, previously a Jewish believer. This is a diverse group of people. Now, church, hear me out. Am I saying that every church needs to look like ours? It'd be great if it did, but not necessarily. Depends where we find it. But I am saying this. Every single church needs to have leaders 
reflecting God's creative genius wherever it is. Some of you may know the story. What is one of the things that we were blown away by when we came and visited Roots of Fellowship? The diversity that exists here. But not only the diversity that exists here, the diversity that exists here on a Sunday. Because when we were in Joburg, my wife and I would go to churches. Man, it was cool. It was diverse, this side of church. But on the other side, it was incredibly pale. Incredibly pale. Lily, Lily White, to be honest with you. We need to gather a number of teaching elders, a number of people. If we want to be a sending church that blesses uh, other people and grows the kingdom of God, we need to have a diverse range or set of leaders. But what else? How else can we be a sending church? How else can we make the circle bigger, the global circle bigger? Let's look at verse 2. It says this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. Now, when you, when you read that, you think, sure, that's kind of like five people sitting around worshiping. That's not what it means. The Greek word used here is liturgio, liturgio. Okay, so, so this is what th- this means. That means that these five gentlemen were getting the work of the church done. That's what they were doing. They were carrying on. They were preaching. They were visiting. They were administering funds. They were feeding the poor. That is what that word means, to be worshiping in that sense, in that context. They were faithfully serving the Lord, continuing doing what they do. But they were waiting on his Holy Spirit, waiting on his Holy Spirit. They let multiplication be God's agenda, not theirs. They weren't thinking, man, I'm going to do this kind of thing. Now, if you remember... When we shared the vision that we want to be a multiplying church, Oni shared that it wasn't of him. He was not saying, hey, listen, I wanted to go there, I want to go there. But people have come to him and said, man, we want to do what you guys are doing elsewhere. We believe that the Lord is calling us to do that. It's on God's agenda, not on ours. We continually, faithfully serve the Lord. So for the past two years, I've been going through some devotions. Um, and recently, I've been given a, a, a Tim Keller devotion on the Proverbs. And this is what Tim Keller essentially writes throughout, throughout the Proverbs. He says, the Proverbs tell us that we need to make our plans. We need to be diligent. We need to, to, be, to be consistent. We need to make our plans. But we need to understand that our plans are submitted to God. So does it mean that I just sit around here and do nothing? No. It means that we faithfully prepare. We get here on a Sunday. We say, Lord, wow, we're, gonna, we're believing for you to bring people. But we, and so we come and set the chairs up. And we, and we do church here. But we don't make it our mission to, to come and get people in here. It is God's plan that we submit to. If we want to be a standing church, and if we want to do it powerfully and right, we mustn't have a run-ahead mindset either. I can confess to you, church, that I'm often impatient in this way. I'm sure our city group leaders are going to go, yeah, definitely. I'll go to them and be like, guys, what's your multiplication plans? Who are you looking at next? How are you growing this? Hey, how we, how, how we, how are we going to spread this? How are we going to make the circle bigger? And I often can get impatient. But we need to realize we need to have, we need to exist in that tension. We need to plan on the one hand, but be ready to send when, when the Holy Spirit reveals to us. How else can we be a sending church? How else can we send people? In fact, how do we send people? Let's look at verse three. It says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and sent them off. 
Well, church, we can clearly see that we need to persistently, persistently, continually practice the communal spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer. And that is why on the 15th of July, after speaking about our multiplication efforts, we had a communal prayer service. That's why Confidence said up here that we need to continue to pray for our multiplication efforts. Because as a a theologian at the South African Theological Seminary says, church growth, church multiplication only happens in the context of prayer. Only happens in the context of prayer. Why? Because when we pray, we are reliant on God and His Holy Spirit. Church, if we want to fulfill God's mission, send our church planters, multiply city groups, grow ministries in and outside of the church, we need to learn from the church in Antioch. On the one hand, we need to be incredibly intentional with our time, our gifts, our talents, our resources. But on the other hand, we need to submit those plans to the Lord, to wait on Him and be empowered by His Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Through prayer and fasting. And we need to make this, these corporate times of prayer and fasting a priority. And then, once those people have been revealed to us, we need to release them with love. And we need to release them, church. So I can share a, a story. Um, I am very excited about multiplication. So like I said, the city group leaders would testify to that. I am very excited about multiplication. And so we've just recently multiplied out of our city group. Um, and I was so excited about the fact that we're multiplying. But when it eventually came down to sitting with sitting down with the two people that, that we were multiplying with, with Aura and Bibi, man, I was bummed out. To be honest with you, I kind of sat there and had that conversation. I was like, wow, this is awesome because it's kind of my job and it's all we do. But man, this is hard. These are people that we've done life together with. These are people that I love. But to send them out, but Lord, if you're saying that we send them out, we send them out. But notice what the church does. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent off. Sent, sent them off. We don't say, hey, cool guys, cheers, check you. WhatsApp, bye. We lay our hands on them and we send them off. This is how multiplication and growth in the local church context works. We send them off. We lay hands, we pray, and we send them off. When I began conversations with some of the pastors within the union about maybe starting kind of a church and, you know, a passion for church planting, before they, before I had a conversation with, with One, um, this one pastor said to me, he said, cool, cool, I hear you want to start something. Who's going to pray for you and send you off? And I was like, is that needed? Yeah, it's needed. That's how the church of, of God works. We need to pray and lay our hands on the leaders and send them off in peace. That's how we make the church, or that's how we make the circle bigger as a global church gathered. Sunday to Wednesday, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be praying, fasting for multiplication efforts. We need to be aware, making plans. How, how can we grow this? How can we make this more inviting to others? How can we send people out, leverage our resources? Where should we be praying for? That's how we make the circle bigger on a global church front. But how do we make the circle bigger here, church? How do we make rooted fellowship a bit bigger? How can we be salt and light to the city of Pretoria, to our immediate surroundings? Well, for that, we need to turn to 1 Peter 3.15. 
1 Peter 3.15. This is our final text for today. 1 Peter 3.15. And this is the disciple Peter, so Jesus' close disciple Peter. It's his letter to the persecuted church scattered across Asia Minor. And this church that he's writing to is suffering rejection, persecution, because of their obedience to Christ. They're being mocked and ridiculed because of their obedience to Christ, and even worse. Now you may say, man, that's not the case today. South Africa, religious country. We're not being persecuted. Cool, maybe we're not. But how does your surrounding context respond to you when you say no to drugs? Nah, I'm not going to drink tonight. No getting drunk. What about refraining from swearing, cursing, gossiping? How do they respond to you when you say, no, I'm saving myself for marriage? What about honoring your spouse? Oh, how's the ball and chain? No, no, please don't refer to, to, to him like that, her like that. How does, the, how, does, how, how does society respond to these things? I think you'll find that these words to, uh, that Peter writes are as applicable to us today as they were to the church in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago. This is what Peter writes. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Church, I believe in the place for apologetics. What is that? That is of those people who defend the faith academically. We need them. Um, This Bible is incredibly true, and people prove that all the time. I am grateful for them. But I'll be honest with you. In all my years in church, in all my years involved with missions, church planting, whatever it is, I have never seen anyone purely argued into a belief in Jesus Christ. Never. But I have, however, seen many put their faith in Jesus Christ because of the hopeful, loving witness of faithful brothers and sisters. So this verse, 1 Peter 3.15, is actually a verse that, uh, that when I was involved with a short-term mission trip, um, was, was, was shown to us, expounded upon, explained to us, uh, and said, listen, when, when you're uh, speaking with somebody, this is a verse you need to bear in mind. And the story that they tell when training us on this verse is, goes like this. Um, involved with an international short-term mission trip um, and kind of outreach into the 1040 window. And it involves street ministry where, where you would engage with people on the streets uh, around, around Jesus Christ and his love for them. And the one person who was training us tells us this story. He says he went out the one night and was giving out these these things, and uh, he was giving out Bibles, and he was engaging with 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 people, trying to reach out and share the love of Jesus Christ. And some some person came up to him, and he started having a heated conversation. And the guy said to him, "Listen, why do I want what you've got?" And he said he started arguing, and he said they were just kind of going back and forth. And, he, and the guy eventually stopped and he said, "You know what?" I look in your eyes, I don't want what you got, man. And he carried on walking. And he said that night, he went, he went home to his hotel, and he went and prayed, and he said, Lord, I am sorry, please forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for the lack of gentleness and respect that I showed to this man. The next night, happened to be standing on the street, this man walks down the street, and he walks up to him and he says, I don't want to argue with you, I don't want to argue. He says, no, no, listen, I'm just coming to you to say to you, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't show you love last night. And he said to him, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about what you're offering. 
Church, we need to honor God, live a life that is set apart and different to, the, to that of the norm of this world. But we need to do it joyfully. Can't be like, oh. We need to do it joyfully. We need to have a hope when sitting around the braai or the water cooler at work or at home or at varsity. And we need to be prepared to give an account for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because if we do that, we may just find somebody asking about this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Maybe genuinely interested in the church that you go to and this hope and faith that you have in your Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they'll ask you a question and maybe that'll open up the window for you to be able to, to, to share with them what Jesus has done for you and for them. Dying on a cross, raising from the dead and ascending into heaven. And maybe... They'll be sitting here next week, Sunday. I'm going to share an example, which maybe you'll like, maybe you won't like. <clears throat> but it's the start of a new Premier League season. So many of you will know I'm a big Chelsea football fan. Start of a Premier League season. I can see Sanella's face going, where are you going with this, John? <laughs> Sanella will say to me, John, what do you think Chelsea's chance of the season? Come on. Really, what are your chances? You guys finished fifth last year. You sunk. You're not going to do anything. And I'm saying to him, I hear you, Sanele, but I remember that time that we, that we were sixth on the table. I remember that time that we were sixth. But you know what? I remember how in that same season when we were sixth, we made it to the semifinals of the Champions League. And I'll tell you exactly where I was that day we made it to the semifinals. We were, I was at a hotel, and my sister stayed in like a, like a hotel apartment. I was there that night watching the Chelsea Football Club. And I was watching them as they went 2-0 down against Barcelona. Dead in the water, 10 men, nothing was going to change that result. They were out. But then I remember it's Blank Lampard chipping this ball through. And I remember the way that Ramirez ran onto that ball. And I'll never forget the way that Ramirez struck that beautiful chip over, was it Valdez, I think? Valdez is, and he went into the back of the net, 2-1, half time. And then I'll never forget those next 45 minutes when Lionel Messi missed a penalty. Petr Cech saved, uh, saved everything, the ball was hit. And I'll, then I'll never, ever, ever forget the way that Petr Cech looked up and saw Fernando Torres just this side of the halfway line, so he wasn't offside. Punched this ball out to him, and Fernando Torres ran onto that ball, ran all the way, one-on-one -on -one with Valdez, went round and swapped it, uh, swapped it into the goals. Two all, game over. Chelsea are going to the Champions League semi, uh, final in Munich. Can I get an amen? I'll never forget that. And so that is why, Sanele, that is why I have hope today that Chelsea will do well. So when you're sitting around at work and someone says to you, man, do you really think that things are going to be okay? I'll say, yes, I have hope. Because I have a hope in a Savior who was born 2,000 years ago. I have a hope in a Savior who was sinless and yet went to a cross for me, died on a cross and forgave my sins. And then I have hope because that same Savior rose three days later. And I'll never forget where I was that, that, that when I was 15 years old or wherever you were, I'll never forget where I was when I heard that story for the first time. And that wrecked my world and changed me. And I'll never forget how, how, how everything changed from that moment. And I'll never forget what Jesus has done for me. And so that is why I believe and I have hope for you as well, brother, sister. Church, I believe that if we do these things, 
if we are obedient and we make our plans, but then wait on God's Holy Spirit, if we are obedient and willing to send out, pray over those who the Lord is calling, and if we are obedient and draw in those curious about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, then I really do believe that we will be able to make this circle bigger and the global church circle bigger and play our crucial part in the mission of God, in the formation of God's family from all people. Let us pray. Well, Jesus Christ, we come to you now, Lord, and we say thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross, for our sins. And I thank you, Father God, for in your grace and mercy, you have established your church here on earth. We thank you, Lord, for those who have ministered to us in the past, who have, who have been on mission and invited us into a relationship with you. We want to honor them, Lord God. We want to praise you for them. And Lord God, we want to praise you for your Holy Spirit, for your power, and for the way in which you have mobilized, built up, and grown your church. We thank you, Lord God, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. We thank you for your Spirit that raised him from the dead. And Lord, we praise you we praise you, Lord, now for this blessed act of, for the blessed act of communion which you gave us when you established your new covenant and everlasting covenant here on earth. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege and honor that we have this morning in being able to come to your table today and participate in this Lord's Supper. Lord, we pray that as we celebrate communion this morning, as we draw near to you, Lord God, we reflect on what you've done to us done for us, Lord God, how you've grown us, how you're refining us, how you are making us more like you. But Lord God, I pray that as we come to your table this morning, as we do this together, that we would come with humble gratitude for what you did for us, that we praise you with thanksgiving, Lord God. Lord, that we'd know your Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, at the same time, through that, through knowing your Holy Spirit, Lord God, you would reveal to us the ways in which we can make this circle bigger. The people that you would want us to tell about you, Lord God. The ways in which we could get involved in praying for people that don't know you, for sending resources, Lord God, leveraging what we have for those who don't know you. I pray, Lord God, that you would do this in a mighty way powerful way here this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.